0: All right, well, good afternoon everybody. As always, you're listening to the ASSP Healthcare Practice Specialties Health Beat Podcast. So today, this is part of our series on best practices and professional development among all of our colleagues in the different practice specialties and different industries. So today, we've got a great episode coming up. We're going to be talking about industrial hygiene with Wesley Lashbrook, who is the administrator for the ASSP IH practice specialty. So definitely going to be a lot of great perspectives and a lot of great information. So, uh, Wes, if you don't mind short of me, me speaking for you, if you could give our listeners a little bit about yourself or your career experiences, anything you'd like to add, we appreciate it.
1: Certainly. I, I started off, um, in, in safety and, and, uh, in health. Basically we did a little bit of environmental too, for that matter, back in 1981. Um, became a member of ASSP in '84, so I'm going on getting up there close to 40 years uh, within within the, uh, this particular profession, and became certified in the, in the latter years of the of, of the '80s, and so I've got both a C.I.H. and C.S.P. I spent 20 years of my professional career at Hewlett Packard in semiconductor manufacturing, um, doing a I'd say about a split. Like most hygienists, I probably did more of like 60 to 70 percent uh, safety and the rest was was uh, industrial hygiene so I've got kind of tuned to both I over my career I spent four years at Semitech that was a research consortium I did that as a Hewlett-Packard uh, designee and we and developed uh, some of the first um, risk assessment tools did a, uh, a cost model and um, risk assessment itself, and then did a mass energy balance model, all to try to integrate uh, safety and health principles into design uh, in the semiconductor industry itself. How successful I was, I I don't know. We put the the products out there. Uh, We had uh, uh, a fair number of our our members starting to use it, but I think we're kind of ahead of the game a little bit. I think this stuff's kind of taken off now over the last 10 years or so. Outside of that, once I, I, I left Hewlett Packard, I became a consultant for the most part. Um, did a lot of industrial, industrial uh, or indoor air quality. Um, and also during this time, I've been in the reserves and finally retired after 43 years uh, in the Air Force uh, Reserve uh, doing meteorology. So a little bit different than, than my uh, civilian occupation.
0: Cool, that's outstanding yeah um well yeah first thank you for your service that's great you know it's a it's a very small world um, I, I was in the air force myself i was a emergency manager and it's interesting um when i first joined they my original afsc they the air force sent me to the, the weather school at Keesler air force base and oh, wow. I, I got about six months into it and i i couldn't see the weather charts properly and they realized that my my eyes weren't working properly which probably has a lot to do with these big, big glasses i wear now um <laughs> they they reassigned me to to emergency management which at the time was called readiness and i went to fort Leonard Wood and learned how to do that and that's that's what i did for my my six years and then i went from counter you know counter seabird in the air force to, to do safety as as a civilian and here here we all are So it's a,
1: it's a small world yeah i know it's well i'm i'm, I'm older than than keesler i did all my uh, training at uh, chanute air force base in illinois so before they closed it down oh yeah my that's
0: great my uncle went there um he was a radio maintainer oh okay he worked back when they had Strategic Air Command. His, uh, yeah, I've
1: worked for most all the commands over the years. I spent great. four years at Stratcom uh, doing uh, meteorology for uh, the GOC for uh, Global Missile uh, Defense. So lots of different things.
0: Yeah, that's that's awesome. Thank you yeah um what i was thinking as you were as you were discussing your career and experiences is is how cool it is that if you're talking about it you can actually see the, the way that it works in a you know in an organizational model is you got your risk management you know very macro level covering all the you know the, the major decisions of the organization and then you get into the you know safety management systems and then down to the you know the very very specific aspects of, of the IH. That's really cool, you've worked at all those different levels and done all that different development.
1: Yeah, I think that was, as my career went, I think tech was certainly the highlight. Uh, spending four years down there and developing, getting the money to develop all those those cost models for our members was was really an experience that I thoroughly enjoyed.
0: Okay, that's awesome, that's awesome. So. So it definitely with all that different experience and all those those different organizations and everything uh, What are the the types of hazards that you've seen the most?
1: Well in semiconductors there there was a variety of different toxic metals and, and, and gases associated with that um, and, and you know they uh, where my experience with um, Indoor air quality came about was really there because anytime there was a, an odor in the clean room, <coughs> that I had to investigate it, you know. And sometimes it ended up being rotten oranges in somebody's locker, you know, type of thing. But anything that was out of the ordinary was considered dangerous. And you had to take it seriously and go in there and try to find. So lots of investigations of air handling systems <laughs> and uh, how air flowed and makeup air and all the rest of the stuff that deals with. Uh, with uh, the person's comfort with inside a facility. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, other hazards. Um, I think one of my uh, biggest projects that we had, is, uh, and my wife um, runs a consulting company. She was the first uh, uh, consultant, safety and health consultant, um, one of the first in the nation's, and certainly the first in the Northwest. So she's been doing it for quite some time. But we had a uh, project after Katrina. Um, if you know the history of Katrina, they, they manufactured all these um, travel trailers for people to stay in because their homes were destroyed. The trouble was, is they, they gave money to the uh, travel trailer industry. Um, basically, they said they buy the first one hundred thousand of, of, of these trailers. And so people just scrambled to try to be the first to get theirs out there and get the money for those trailers. And they had a hard time getting materials. and so they went to China and some offshore manufacturers who didn't cure their wood correctly and paneling correctly. And so there was massive amounts of exposure to formaldehyde. And so we sampled 5,000 sample uh, travel trailers for formaldehyde and was part of a litigation um, with FEMA and, uh, and other industries to, to uh, get compensation for people for formaldehyde for exposures. And you can f- imagine what it would be like in a small travel trailer in the summertime in New Orleans, you know, and they had to close, they had to close all the windows. There was no basic air movement whatsoever. And uh, the stuff just built up, caused all sorts of various health problems. So that's, that's the types of things I've done. And of course, as, What's nice about being a consultant, you get to see all different types of things like being a compliance officer. And every client has is unique and has their own special uh, contaminant problems and issues, and regulatory issues associated with that. You go in and try to determine how best to mitigate that so they can operate effectively and still be cost effective in their processing. So that's what I've done. For the most part,
0: yeah, definitely a a, a prolific career and, and very interesting. You know, with something like formaldehyde, we you know we see a lot of that, of course, in healthcare. You know, they use they use formaldehyde very much in my pathology labs and in different areas. And uh, then, of course, there's a lot of high level disinfectants with things like glutaraldehyde and whatnot. So there's it's always a, a conscious effort to make sure that everybody understands that you know, these are certainly hazardous materials, and if in the case of the mountain, they have their own you know their own regulation for that reason, so that, that that's interesting it's interesting how that occurred with it becoming um, such a such a high level issue. Um, that's great. y'all were able to sort that out.
1: Um. Yeah, I think I think I think we at least eliminated the problem over time. You know, part of the problem was FEMA had never done any fleet management, so there was some basic management issues associated with that that uh, they had a hard time overcoming, going from no fleet management to 100,000 trailers <laughs> in a very short period of time. Um, but you know, it, it's it's interesting that we you have some some really unique ex- experiences when you go out and. and uh, and visit different types of places. I went to a, an outfitter for uh, uh, for fly fishing, and and their neighbors within their building complained about odors and, and problems. And again, they had gone out and purchased uh, um, a bunch of boots and and uh, plastic gear from overseas, and. Um, and they were off gassing again, so we had to set up a, they had to go get a warehouse and put all their product in the warehouse and then burn it out over a over a weekend to get it ready before they could ship it to get rid of the odors. So, you know, again, it's, they they hadn't really closed the loop on the supply side to make sure that they, they were actually meeting the suppliers were meeting the standards that the company had set up. But you can see with an environmental conscious company like that that something could really go wrong and hurt their hurt their brand fairly easily. And we're glad that we were able to find out what it was. Absolutely,
0: yeah. It's always intriguing, you know, the the factors involved and you know all the different all the different potential hazards and every now and then there's that you know perfect storm of of things that happen. And, you know, like you said, it goes into things like, sorry about that, things like fleet management and process safety management and everything kind of adds up. So that's great that you were able to do that. Um, So I know this is kind of a kind of a huge question, but, um, you know, knowing all those different hazards and all those different experiences, what are what are some of the some of the best practices and some of the, you know, focal points that, that you've been able to identify over the years things that are um, you know, just, just really important to, important to look at and and work on for um, you know, for increased safety and wellness.
1: Well, from my my side, um, staying on the industrial hygiene side of things, it's it's mostly just adequate airflow and 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 removing of contaminant, you know it's certainly most people and small companies tend to go towards uh, personal protective equipment and the difficulty with that is is that they have to be trained and make sure that they're fitted correctly You can see all that now with with mask wearing and the rest of the stuff that we have and how effective or ineffective it, it can be. Um, but so trying to get them to put in adequate airflow you know, at least some sort of dilution ventilation in place, even if it's if it's fan systems to blow the material away from the person's uh, breathing zone. So it's 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 going through and kind of understanding how the entire building works, and how the air flow. If they do have uh, local exhaust. Is it effective? Is it really pulling the contaminant away? You know, and it's it's just a it's a detective issue where you kind of try to go in and investigate and come up with a method that. Uh, that they can implement successfully that actually protects the, the the worker effectively too as well. So it's, and with large, you know, most of these manufacturing places uh, are small small companies and they have sometimes massive parts that they're making. And so it's difficult to always maintain it within, you know, in the healthcare industry, you guys got a lot of uh, vent hoods to, 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 to do some of your work in. Um, in general industry, that's not the case. they are big, huge uh, spray booths or other things that are hard to ventilate and hard to move the contaminant away. So you've got to come up with some innovative ways to doing it.
0: Definitely. Yeah, that, that's great advice. Yeah, with the um, – yeah, healthcare is interesting that, you know, with areas such as you know, labs and whatnot where they're dealing, especially with – you know, BDSL three and four labs, they have very particular engineering controls and hoods and biosafety cabinets and whatnot. So there's there's a lot of preparation that goes into that, knowing that they're gonna handle, you know, potential pathogens and whatnot. So it's definitely a different story when you have a more of an industrial setting. I've, it's kind of an interesting thing with especially with the pandemic, you know, in the last twenty months. We're at it's kind of a juncture where we want, you know, optimized air air filtration and air circulation, so we can avoid stagnant air and and um, these, these different things inside the buildings. Uh, but at the same time, of course, the average office building is not made for positive pressure ventilation or anything. Uh, have y'all have y'all worked with anything like that with the with the pandemic on advising organizations on? Um, building your circulation and
1: whatnot yes uh, we've we've worked with a, a, a few companies on setting up uh, covid response programs for uh, when people came back to work now that we, we we've, we've implemented these programs and for the most places when it comes to office areas and such they haven't really returned <laughs> so they're still they're still in the mode of working from home but when it came to construction places and uh, and vital industries at that needed to function uh, during the pandemic, we worked with them on on getting better air circulation again in trailers, portable trailers and and portable office areas, as as well as uh, procedures for um, delineating, keeping six foot distancing and and proper mask wearing and and what what they can do for people who can't wear masks or have uh, uh, health issues that, that make breathing difficulty when using a respirator of some sort. So we've implemented a few of those things. And of course, as, as the literature became more apparent and research was done, uh, then those things were modified over time. So it was kind of a scramble at the first, but I think most people have a good understanding of what to do nowadays.
0: Yeah, definitely. That, that's, great that, that's great that y'all were able to advise on that. and. Um, have you all, have you seen these situations? I, I've seen a couple of them in the past year where, because of the pandemic, sometimes people will aggregate very large quantities of things like 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 household bleach, like so you know sodium hypochlorite containing products, and they'll have you know much more than consumer level quantities. Uh, but of course they don't they don't have a industrial chemical storage, you know with with ventilation and things like that. Have, have you all seen? Things like that, where you have to figure out how to mitigate
1: it. Yeah, we we have um, we we tried to to point them towards their custodial crew so that the who, who are better prepared to handle the bulk usage of that and just keep their their on-site usage uh, for spot cleaning and that sort of thing done. There was a lot of emphasis initially for killing the virus on surface areas, uh, but that doesn't seem to be the major form of transmission, so I think that kind of went away a little bit um, once, once people started working in office areas again, working in areas, um, they, could, they could keep it clean and, and, and they focused mostly on, on uh, air zones and, and breathing in uh, viruses that way, which seemed to be the major form of uh, transmission.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely, it's been a learning process, and um, and that's the you know with healthcare in particular, we've always made it a point to to educate, especially non-healthcare organizations, on you know, the the difference between cleaning and sanitizing versus straight up disinfecting everything. And you know, to your point, the difference between the you know the fomite right. transmission and the airborne particles. Um, so it, yeah, definitely interesting, but. Um, Definitely you not to climb down a, a pandemic rabbit hole, but um, so you know, of course, with industrial hygiene, you know, it's 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 very very interesting career field because you've got everything on the OSHA side, and then you've got everything on the EPA side, and and all the national consensus standards uh, in the middle. Do you do you feel like? You know over the course of your you know you very prolific career do you feel like those regulations have been effective or do you feel like there's there's still still needs there
1: Well oh, I, I think there's still needs you know the trouble with it's very political when it comes to airborne monitoring especially and so for chemical exposure uh limits uh, uh, the permissible exposure limits from from osha say um, they don't get updated very effectively and some of them are, you know, are still in the same place they were back in the 1970s. So it's it's one of those things that it's it's industry groups lobby very effectively against doing any changes. And then, of course, with uh, uh, the ACGIH, American Conference of governmental Industrial Hygienists that put, put out their standards, which weren't really standards, they're just suggestions, but they got sued for it and, and, and have had some difficulties. Um, keeping up with that too as well. So it's, it's, you know, a lot of these things have to be best industry practice and, and working with, um, we come in a lot of times after, after someone has violated uh, a particular regulation uh, from a a enforcement agency. And so trying to work with them to come up with an effective tool to, to make them be in compliance as well as, follow what the rest of the industry that they're doing uh, does for best practices and keeping their employees safe so it's you know i, I think i think OSHA has a really hard time uh coming up with effective standards to meet new uh hazards that come up into the workplace and then of course keeping things up to date on on the chemical health portion of it anyway safety side i think is 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 pretty more pretty much more straightforward on on prevention. The health side changes a lot. So that's my take on that. I think I I think just experience with people that are doing it um, helps. You know the more experience you have then the better you can advise your clients and and you know it's understanding their processes is probably the hardest thing to do as a professional when you're coming into some place that's cold like that. be able to talk to their maintenance people. Be able to talk to their engineering staffs, and, and coming up with effective ways to mitigate risks. Yeah,
0: that's fantastic. Definitely, definitely a lot of good perspectives there. A lot of different hazards. A lot of good ways to mitigate them. And um, yeah, it's interesting, you know, with when you go between the, the PELs and the RELs and the the um. The, the uh, I'm I always up the acronym the uh, government governmental industrial hygienists um,
1: the TLDS yeah
0: there we go um, I was drawing a blank for a minute but
1: yeah we have our own way of talking you know with our acronym
0: is there yeah it, it's not unlike the military you know there's, <laughs> there's an acronym for that yeah exactly um, but uh, yeah, just being able to, um, you know, find the the more the, the safer of the options, and then knowing, like you said, the variables of what what's been not updated for many decades, and, and being able to put the proper engineering and administrative and PPE controls, and then working through the proper respirator programs, and a lot, lot to that. So definitely a lot of great work y'all do. Speaking of that, with all the work y'all do with industrial hygiene, so what's going on with the um, with the industrial hygiene practice specialty? Do you have any, any any cool updates? Anything going on there?
1: Yeah, we got a couple things. one is um, one of our our uh, advisory council members, Adrian, um, uh, has got a great job of of reaching out. Uh, you know one of the main problems we've had over the last year and a half or so is just you miss networking and 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 not doing everything on on zoom and uh go to meetings so <laughs> it's nice to be able to talk to people she's done a great job of we have two things she did um uh i think the first uh holiday party uh online that we that we did this last year we had most of the board attend, so I guess they were trying to see how it worked. And I thought did an excellent job of breaking the ice and making people, you know, have games and other things to uh, challenges so they could they could meet each other and and you know have a successful um, virtual sort of holiday practice. And, and of course, with practice specialties we don't we don't meet that often anyway. Maybe most once a year uh, together as a group. So um, so that was good. And we're going to do that again this year. Um, we also do monthly coffee talks, which he hosts as well on the third Thursday, I think, of the month. All that's uh, within um, our meeting announcements within the digests that, that come out uh, both weekly as well as, uh, as monthly. So we're, we get together and people can ask questions about the profession that we can get together just as hygienists and talk to, through each other of, of things that are happening. Uh, and that's been extremely successful, too. We've always had, uh, I, I think, 20 to 30 members come in on that in and out, of course, during that 45-minute hour period that she does that per month. On webinars, we're doing seven this year, at least we have seven planned. We'll see how successful we are. Uh, we Last year, we um, uh, went through uh, ACGIH. Uh, was we put out uh, a series of COVID fact sheets. And so we did uh, two last year on efficacies of mask wearing as well as um, just the mechanism for transmission and, and how that actually works with COVID-19. This this year we're gonna be doing ventilation as well as developing programs for uh, pandemic organisms. So those were, those are, we have speakers from from that from that organization that come in and give that talk and that should be really really beneficial I think we're also doing some work with A I H A and one of their uh, actually their um, chair of their safety committee and he's going to put on a three part series um, over I guess a three month period I, we haven't decided that yet on on how to build and maintain an effective I H program and how to hire I H consultants that sort of thing so. How to read and do lab and data analysis, how to evaluate uh, program performance, how to just basically set up a, a and do qualitative risk assessment on how often you should do and what you should sample for. So, that I think will be a real benefit, not just to our practice specialty members, but I think to a, a lot, a lot of people in ASSP too as well. We're also doing. Um, we had one last year. We're going to do it again do it again and add to it, but uh, with COVID-19, air sampling for COVID-19 has presented some legal issues that, uh, that have an effect possibly on just doing air sampling in general. So we're gonna be having another panel of, of attorneys talk about uh, COVID-19 air sampling, how it affects uh, our ability to, to uh, sample in for air contaminants in general within the workplace. So that's kind of what we're doing this next year. And of course that changes each year. And please uh, um, read your community's page and and keep track of of all the things that are doing. We always put out, uh, about once every couple months, I put out an administrator's message that kind of lists what we're doing in the next three or four months. Um, As well as, of course, all the various other things that ASSP puts out that kind of summarizes what's happening there. So please join us if you can. That's great. That's great, a lot of a lot of great
0: resources and you know, everything very, very value added. Um, yeah, that. Um, I, I like how y'all were y'all are doing the education on you know, the the legal challenges. You know, the, as as things evolve, you know the the legal landscape is always variable and there's a lot of that with the pandemic in particular you know you have HIPAA challenges and you have ADA challenges and different kinds of things that go into that along with like we were talking about with engineering controls with air circulation and air changes and air filtration and then you've got your you got your very um, very you know micro controls with your source control face mask and your PPE for your for your at-risk personnel and all that so it then of course the vaccines are a whole whole different thing, you know. So there's that's great that you're getting into that. Um, yeah, we do the same type of thing with with healthcare practice right? specialty. Is you know our aim is to to continue providing you know relevant topics through webinars and uh, podcasting and and then our our health publication. So um, you know we'll definitely definitely stay in touch if y'all are ever interested in in collaborating. We certainly have, you know, a, a shared audience.
1: We'd love to collaborate. We did that with you last year a little bit. So and um, uh, in, in you, I can go ahead and, and send you, if you'd like, our, um, our operating plan for the year. And you can take a look at that and see if there's something that you'd like to collaborate with us on or, or something else that we collaborate with you on. So either way works for us.
0: That'd be great. That'd be great. Yeah, we can definitely talk offline. Um, so Yeah, we're definitely starting with this this podcast, which is very informative, and we can go from there. But, uh, but yeah, I know that um, I know that you're, you're very busy, so I don't, don't want to tie you up all day. But um, the last thing I always ask everybody, and this is the one I think that uh, eventually I'm going to write it into an article, is if you had a magic wand, so if you could change something about whether it's, uh, industrial hygiene, or safety, or regulations, or just co- co- organizational culture—anything like that. If you had the magic wand and you could change something, what would that be?
1: Making sure everybody got vaccinated for COVID. I—I I, I think it's become a political issue, which is too bad. You know, my my degree is in environmental health, so I—I I haven't practiced that much, but you know, I had a, epidemiology and. Uh, and environmental health practices and and how to to pandemic response way back when in in the 70s and, and a lot of that stuff hasn't changed i mean some of the stuff hasn't changed since we've had the black plague it's it's just a shame that that people are are in denial about the safety and efficacy of their vaccines up to the time that they go into the hospital and are almost dead, you know. In some cases I've heard stories of people ripping off their auction mask and storming out of the hospital when they find out that they're wake up and find out they're in, you know, on a ventilator because of exposure to to COVID. And it's just a shame. We could save a lot of lives. And we're approaching what six hundred and eighty thousand people now. We're over what we did in, in nineteen eighteen for the for the pandemic back then. So it's it's you know, I'm a firm believer in in science and um, and and using scientific principles to advance and 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 work with uh, folks to keep them safe. You know, that's been what my charter, personal charter, has been for my entire professional career. And I just hate to see people pass away when they can't it can be prevented.
0: Certainly, certainly. Yeah, it's, it's certainly a uh, unfortunate how, it, how it's been politicized they we, we actually just talked about that on our advisory board meeting yesterday with the healthcare practice specialty is you know ultimately like you just said you know it, it it boils down to science and methodology you know you've got your we know that if we want to limit the risk we you know we prevent congregations we limit congregations then we go to the vaccinations Then we go to the capacity restrictions then we go to the um excuse me then we go to the engineering controls yeah i think i
1: think people don't understand that yeah the entire gamut of things to protect people and and we're going opposite direction and eliminating most of those things and i guess hoping for the best they don't that doesn't happen but transmission does you know and and the trouble is we're never going to get out of this unless less people uh work together to to try to to minimize the transmission of this virus and that's what the hard thing is to do so it's it's just a shame and we'll continue to work on it and hope for the best that we can we can get out of this and, and I, I you know I, I still have I have five grandchildren um, three of which are under the age of vaccines even being available to them. so it's it's always heartbreaking to see that people don't seem to care very much about uh, what happens to my grandchildren or all the other children that are out there that that can't be vaccinated.
0: Yes sir I agree our our daughter is almost eight uh, okay. same same type of situation where we're she has a lot of medical vulnerabilities. so we're very very concerned about it. I totally agree. But uh, yeah, we've we've been trying to educate everybody as far as the the available exposure prevention controls and, and how we can optimize that. And I do agree with you that it's unfortunate when when a lot of um, a lot of leaders at, at the state level and the national level have actively removed those controls. Even right. way, even in the even in the middle of a surge
1: well, and people, I don't think, understand that the 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 vaccine didn't come out of n- nowhere. Uh, the I, it was a, a show on, the person, the researcher that had uh, that had developed the Moderna vaccine, and and she'd been working on on SARS uh, viruses for six years. Her team was, and so they were, you know, on the on the RNA re- a process has been around for a while. So it's not just Something they just came up with overnight. It was something that they had many, many years of research. I don't think most people understand that.
0: Is there? Yeah, it's unfortunate. There, there's a lot of, a lot of hearsay where people have developed a lot of different, you know, un- ungrounded theories and whatnot, and and those things have spread like wildfire. But the, yeah, the reality is. And the reality is much less um, science fiction, horror story, and, and much more science, <laughs> much more just, just science. Right. But uh, unfortunately, there somewhere out there. There's a lot of people that are, they've, they've capitalized on, on a lot of those theories and, and fear and whatnot. <clears throat>
1: But, yeah, yeah, again, it comes on who who they identify with. And it's almost like they're they're not being loyal to their tribe by by doing something that would be good for everybody, plus themselves and their families. So it's, that's where the shame comes in. Well, let's do our best to try to put the right information out there and, and, and try to work through people's fears and, and have them at least willing to, to try to get the vaccine to protect themselves and others. Yes, sir. Yes, sir,
0: all right. Well, yeah, definitely yeah, great perspectives, great information. We're, it's great great to hear your story. Um, I would always enjoy hearing everybody's, you know, uh, career origin stories and everything that, everything you've been through, it's, it's great. Uh, so with all that, uh, you know, like, as always, there's an open invitation. You know, if you ever want to join us again on a podcast, we do we do a lot of different panels and, and a lot of different discussions, so we'd, we'd love to have you. Same with, you know, any of your uh, IH practice specialty members or leaders. Um, with that being said, uh, is there anything else you'd like to add today before we, before we wrap it up?
1: Uh, outside of, you know, want to encourage one of the main things that we find every time we do a um, – Survey Monkey uh, survey is that people don't think we produce anything or, or have any benefit to them. And a lot of that just because of our restrictions on how we can communicate, you know, we're supposed to go through the communities page, we have access now to our, our roster finally. Uh, so we can at least limit uh, to a limited basis, put out information, but uh, we're always here to talk, you know anybody have any questions. Uh, feel free to get a hold of us, you know, my my email address and, and contact information is within the committee's page for that, our practice specialties. But we want to hear from people and, and if we can be a benefit to them, uh, we want to hear how we can. And then, of course, what we do provide, we want to make sure that people are aware of it so that they can, especially in these days um, where companies have cut back on travel and such, you know, all our our webinars have CEU credits associated with that um, and count for, for both uh, uh, certified hygienists as well as safety professionals and so. Now please join us when you can.
0: Definitely, definitely, that's great. Yeah, the, the communication is, has always been uh, an initiative of ours as well, you know, to t- increase visibility and make sure everybody understands all the resources that are available to them. Uh, I certainly hear you there. But um, yeah, with all that being said, uh, for everybody listening, as always, uh, definitely check out the Industrial Hygiene Practice Specialties resources and uh, upcoming events. Uh, same with with Healthcare Practice Specialty. you can find us on the ASSP communities. Um, you can also find us on LinkedIn and you can find us on our, on our, on our Twitter feed, which is at the little at sign ASSP HCPS. Um, the podcast is located at anchor.fm slash assp dash HTTPS dash health beat and we have uh this will be our 23rd episode so we appreciate everybody listening and if there's anything you're looking for topics different hazards different resources please let us know and we'll we'll make that happen and as always if you're interested in being a podcast guest or webinar or if you'd like to write for our Health Beat publication please let us know we're always happy to to hear new voices and and perspectives and experiences So, with all that uh again uh, we appreciate you being here great talking to you today and um we'll talk to everybody real soon Have have a great day and be safe